Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, few days away, one game left, this close to history. How are you doing? I can feel it, Kale. Can't you all feel it out there in the virtual audience? We are, we're just drawing so much closer to the game. And don't think about what comes after. Don't worry about the offseason. Don't worry about that, that pit in your stomach when there's no more football because we're going to fill it this weekend, and we'll worry about that when the time comes. Super Bowl's here. That we will. And, hey, we're going to have a lot of spring leagues to get into. We're going to have, you know, an offseason full of content, draft stuff. Football's a year-round sport at this point. Don't get too concerned. But, hey, four hours, four days, five hours, 22 minutes. Countdown seconds, <laughs> and then we get one more game. But Jackson, let's start with the rest of the league before we get into our Super Bowl news. And again, it's starting with the coaches. New defensive coordinator hires across the league, offensive as well. Let's start San Francisco 49ers. Steve Wilkes, new defensive coordinator over there took over as the interim head coach midway through the league, uh, midway through the year after the firing of Matt Rule, led them to the 17th best defensive DVOA from weeks 10 to 12. Uh, under Wilkes, they also had the 12th best rushing defense. You couldn't, you couldn't go to a better situation after a guy who kind of got slighted in the opportunity to interview for a head coaching job with Carolina, that, of course, goes to Frank Reich. But you couldn't land a better situation, Jackson. League's best defense by DVOA. Top five in pass and run. Weapons, as far as, as, far as the eye can see. Great landing spot for Steve Wilkes, Jackson. It's one of those situations where it worked out the way we hoped, even if this wasn't the specific result that we had in our minds. But you brought it up on last week's show. We said both these things can be true. The Frank Reich hiring for Carolina can be a good hire, and you can judge that hire however you want, even if you don't think it's good. But you can also say that Steve Wilkes not only was passed over, but it's getting the short end of the stick here, and it really stinks, and you want to see him land a good opening. I mean, this is the best DC opening you can land right now. I mean, you mentioned – the rankings, they also were the only defense with three first-team All-Pros uh, and one at every level of the defense, and they're all coming back and should be healthy by opening weekend. So, I mean, this is a team that should be able to hit the ground running. And Wilkes, I mean, from the 49ers side of things, like you weren't going to do better than Wilkes, somebody who's got D.C. experience. I mean, if you count the Panthers, which you should, because not only was he the top defensive coach, but he also ends up taking over the head coach job. He's been a D.C. now, two other organizations, a head coach with the Cardinals, and a D.C. at Missouri before he came back to the NFL. So you're not getting experience like that very often in a D.C. position. So I think everybody's winning here. No, you are not. And if you are one of the people holding out for Wilkes to get another shot at a head coaching role, you know, he was in a one-year position with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. He had the interim role. Uh, with the Panthers, NFL Network scene Rapport points out the last two San Francisco DCs 
Both got head coaching jobs. It could be a good springboard for Wilkes to ascend to that next level. But yeah. in the meantime, is going to have a blast of a time coaching this defense. Yeah, and not maybe not in immediate succession, but in the past decade, you've seen Big Fangio be the 49ers defensive coordinator as well. I mean, this team churns out not just productive defenses, but defenses that, that get their coaches opportunities elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Steve Wilkes, somebody that really has just had a rough go of it in terms of like fair treatment, fair opportunity, especially with that Cardinals gig, I think you would point out, like who expected the 2018 Cardinals to be any good at all? Why was that just firing? So hopefully this team just balls out again next year and he's right back at the top of the head coach market in 2023. Let's move on to Minnesota. They make a DC hire. Brian Flores. Flores originally came in as the linebackers coach and senior defensive assistant for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tomlin recognized he you know, Pittsburgh was going to be the only one to hire this team. He was suing the league for wrongful termination. Uh, the hiring cycle after he was fired basically completely dried up. Most positions filled. Steelers plug him in. Was, those three years with Miami were in the defense, Jackson. League worst his first year. 11th, then 10th, the two years after. A great pickup for a Minnesota defense that really needs it. <laughs> oh, you think? Yeah, Minnesota's defense, uh, I think atrocious is the first word that comes to mind last year. Uh, 27th in DVOA, 31st in points allowed. And Flores, as you mentioned, not only has those two borderline top 10 defenses with the Dolphins, but then the Steelers, despite missing TJ Watt for much of the year, dealing with several other subtractions and injuries, still managed to put up the 12th best defense by DVOA. Uh, so I feel as though this is the type of hire that you bring in when you know that the existing framework of your defense isn't necessarily sound, especially if you look at what Miami's defense looked like when he first took that job. And he's not just a short-term, but a long-term solution to help, help with personnel, help with specific scheming and coaching. And I think it's just a, uh, another one of these home run hires where uh, Flores, another guy who was in consideration for head coaching opportunities elsewhere, in fact, we'll come back to the Cardinals head coaching position, but he was named one of the three finalists for that job and then still turned it down. Uh, so clearly, if you're the Vikings, you have to love, you know, the the ability that you had in this case to hire somebody like Brian Flores. Should be noted. That 27th finish in DVOA is the worst by the Vikings since 2004. And by the specific numbers, that 6.7% defensive DVOA their worst since 2013. Decade or two, it's one of the worst defensive performances by a Vikings team in the 21st century. Hey, the 2022 Minnesota Vikings are just going to be one of the all-time anomalies. Always. You know, like when we look back at DVOA overperformances or just, you know, if you're not a DVOA person, you're just like, wow, which team's overachieved it's always going to come back to minnesota vikings it's like every week you, you thought that they couldn't like drop lower in our rankings and yet they somehow did and you have to be really impressed with that that's a that's a tip your cap situation for the 2022 minnesota Vikings. an absolute dvoa anomaly 
with a real chance to potentially, uh, you know, right the wrongs created last year, but they're going to have a lot more competition. Detroit's looking better. Uh, Chicago is looking to, you know, completely revamp, considering the fact they've got the most cap space in the league and are pretty committed to Justin Fields at this point, and they have the number one overall pick, which they can trade down out of. NFC North is going to get a lot tougher. Brian Flores is going to help put a cap on these things, hopefully. Jackson, we have one more D.C. hire to go over. The Carolina Panthers add a hero of Vera to Frank Reich's roster. They do. Averro was released Sunday from his contract with Denver. Uh, given the opportunity to seek other positions, uh, he was in multiple head coaching interviews for the Colts and the Cardinals. He was getting interviewed for defensive coordinator positions elsewhere, at least getting requests to. I know he was a favorite for the Minnesota Vikings job at one point. And while Wilkes was able to, you know, help bolster this Carolina defense wasn't the best on the year, 25th in DVOA. But this team loaded with weapons. Uh, Like, outside of the obvious, they've spent three of their last four first-round picks on the defensive side of the ball. 11 players, Jackson started at least 10 games for the Panthers, all those players are 28 and younger. Like this is, in terms of, you know, young defensive coordinators looking for an opportunity to really own a defense, this feels like a kid in a candy store. This feels like the perfect opportunity for Rivera. Yeah, this is one of those defenses where you you separate the names from the numbers and you just look at the, the talent that they've been stockpiling and you feel like a course correction is coming. And it's not just because of the age. It's that I, I legitimately look at a lot of the guys on this defense and take Brian Burns out of the equation. Because like you said, bona fide superstar there. On the face of them, I love J.C. Horn. I think Jeremy Chin is a very good safety in this league who's shown like touchdown potential in his first couple of years. Frankie Luvu, a very strong linebacker. Shaq Thompson has also been ferocious in getting after quarterbacks at points in his career. So I just think that, you know, getting someone like Avero in the building who you know, had experience this past year and leading like a top of the league defense. And really, I think the numbers on the Broncos defense end up looking worse by the end of the season because you sort of just give up after a while when you realize your offense is never going to score. Uh, and I think he brings a tremendous pedigree to this team that, like you said, tons of talent hasn't necessarily shown that they're a top defense in the league, but we've seen teams come from the bottom of the top uh, to or come from the bottom to the top in DVOA just in recent years with teams like the 2022 Jets. And I could see a turnaround like that coming for the Panthers next year. Yeah, I mean, not only, Jackson, are they getting really good draft picks in the building. They've done a really good job being able to identify talent off the street. Like like you mentioned, the Luvu pickup, uh, you know, even adding a guy like Xavier Woods to this defense. Like, they've done a really good job just trying to, like, pluck guys off the street and turn them into just really quality starting talent. And an ability to, like, even enhance that further under Rivera 
just seems like a really great opportunity for, again, a team in a wide open division. Like we have, we'll get into a little bit of the Saints, but like you can't put any faith in this Falcons team. Brady's gone right now. I, 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 you know, is it Kyle Trask season? I don't know. But like (laughs) Saints don't have, like Saints don't have a real quarterback option right now. Falcons are debating between, you know, one and whoever they're going to draft. Bucks don't have one. This is like this Panthers team is prime for a playoff spot if they can have a couple things bounce their way. They're also going to be in the quarterback market. So they need to hit on that. They haven't exactly had track record of doing that post Cam Newton or at least finding a guy. We'll see how that shakes out, but we know the defensive side of the ball is going to be pretty sound. Yeah. And from Averro's perspective, this is a guy who's really thought out. Uh, his moves the last few months. So you can go all the way back to when Nathaniel Hackett gets fired. He's offered the interim head coach tag and he says, no, thanks. I'm a defensive coach. I want to focus on finishing out the season with this defense. And then it seems like in his mind, it was like, feels like a little bit of a a sinking ship with Denver. Where else can I jump to? Uh, And maybe even when Sean Payton gets hired, he's like, okay, what coaching staff can I go to where I'll be more of a standout star? And this is obviously somebody who's going to be a head coach at some point in his career. He's already almost been given that opportunity. I think he sees the Panthers as the team that can kind of, you know, be a mutually beneficial situation, uplift each other along the way. And we'll see how long he's there. But I think they're getting a really good one in him. Well, Jackson, there are two head coaching vacancies still open talk to me about one of them because Avero interviewed for this job turned it down Flores was named a finalist for this job took the Vikings DC job talk to me about the Arizona Cardinals the Arizona Cardinals seem to be the closer of the two teams in in terms of finally finding that candidate the Indianapolis Colts of course are the other and we'll have updates on them momentarily but Sunday, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports that the Cardinals had informed several candidates that they were out of the running. At the time, it was Brian Flores, Mike Kafka of the Giants, and Lou Anarumo of the Bengals that were considered to be the final candidates who would move to the final interview stage. That means people like Brian Callahan, who started interviewing just recently with them, their own defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. They're no longer in the picture and now it seems like it's down to Anarumo and Kafka. If you see a similarity here, Kale, it's two guys who led offenses with major improvements, major rebounds in 2022. Anarumo's Cincinnati defense, 11th in DVOA, up from 19th last year. So a hefty jump there, impressive for a team that made it to the Super Bowl. And Kafka's Giants offense, dead last in the league last season, 10th this year, very respectable. Obviously, the Cardinals are a team in need of a turnaround, and these are the two guys that they feel like can get it done, and now we just have to start conjecturing as to which one of them it might end up being. I'm going to tell you, man, the the Kafka hire would hypothetically be fascinating to me because Kafka was hired as the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. For the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if you know who quarterbacks them, but you know, having a hand in that pot of the Patrick Mahomes just being in that locker room, big deal. 
four straight years, never finished worse than third in offensive DVOA uh, with Kafka in the building. First, third, second, and third, four straight years. Two of those years, he's also the passing game coordinator, lending a hand there. Big turnaround for the New York Giants as well. Anaruma, though, a very interesting position to be in here. Like, there, it's two really strong options here, in my opinion. I lean Anaruma, but I'm very interested in the Kafka pick exclusively because, like, I don't know how much credit to give Kafka, and I don't know how much credit to give Brian Dable, who seemingly turned this entire Giants defense around and was able to give opportunities to guys like, you know, Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, getting really quality play out of, like, tight ends like David Bellinger. Like, really didn't have a lot to work with and produced a top-10 offense regardless. Yeah, so that you stole the stole the words right out of my mouth. I was 100% wondering how much credit to give Kafka, uh, not just for the Giants turnaround, but also, you know, if he's the quarterback's coach for Patrick Mahomes, how much credit are we giving him when Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Mahomes himself are all in the building? So it would be very interested to see Kafka fully take the reins. And the other added layer of complexity here is – offensive coach versus defensive coach where the one long-term commitment you've made is to quarterback Kyler Murray, who has had his struggles the past couple of years at times, who has seemed disgruntled the past couple of years at times, but there's obvious, you know, number one overall pick pedigree and talent there. Uh, so, you know, how much do you wait trying to get somebody who can be a mentor to him as your head coach? How much does that matter if you can find somebody to be the offensive coordinator or who knows? It's a, it's a really interesting wrinkle when you consider the unique position the Cardinals are in to have really bottomed out, but to be committed to a quarterback. It's it's not often that you see that. The emphasis on Murray is the interesting part to me because, like, Kafka already sold. You got the guy who works with Patrick Mahomes. He could work with Kyler Murray. You got to have some kind of relationship, I assume. Murray's going to have a big say in this. The Anna, the Anna Rumo part comes interesting like I don't know who he hires as his offensive coordinator I don't know who he brings from Cincinnati along to try and you know either manage this offense or continue to work with Kyler going I think Anarumo to me like in terms of what I would want for a team like the versatility of like different fronts Anarumo is able to show what he's been able to do with a defense that like admittedly doesn't boast a ton of stars. Like, you know, you got two good edge rushers in Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. You've got really good safety in Jesse Bates. But, like, you're not getting a ton of, like, household names. You're not getting, you know, a ton of, like, guaranteed first-team all-pro spots on this defense. But you've been able to pretty consistently produce, a, like, a pretty quality defense here. This entire thing, though, like just happens to be all about Kyler. So I don't know how you balance those two. Neither do I. It's it, you. You never really know um, unless you've been in the room with a quarterback at the NFL level. And even if you have specific quarterbacks are so wildly different, uh, how that head coach quarterback relationship is going to work out. But at least it makes more sense to us from the outside. Right. If it's an offensive minded coach and a quarterback, you see that relationship gel pretty often. But on the flip side, we know defensive head coaches win Super Bowls, win championships all the time. And maybe that hasn't happened in the last couple of years. But, you know, 
There's a guy named Bill Belichick out there who started out as a D coordinator and had some pretty good success with a quarterback of his own. So we know it can happen, but it's hard for us to conceptualize just exactly what that working dynamic is going to look like. There's more spots on this coordinator carousel, Jackson. Mm. We cannot spend all our time speculating on head coach roles as much as we'd like to. Let's go back to the NFC South. The Saints have filled their defensive coordinator role. And it's with Joe Woods, former Cleveland Browns, D.C., spent three years coaching the Browns under Kevin, uh, under Kevin Stefanski, was fired right after the season ended. Had one good year, Jackson. 11th best DVOA in 2021. Was outside the top 20 his first year. Came back down to earth in 2023rd. It's going to be an interesting situation. Very much a defensive-minded head coach. Previously had co-DCs controlling, you know, fronts and secondary. Wood is going to get his say. Woods is going to get his say in the secondary. But according to New Orleans.Football's Nick Underhill, Dennis Allen will dictate scheme and ultimately control this defense while Woods is going to be Allen's, you know, top assistant, help out with defensive backs. But it's a, I I don't know. It's a really interesting hire to me because you're going from, you know, a team with talent who underperformed expectations to a defense who did well, but who's, individual players, especially in the secondary, also underperformed expectations. Yeah, I think this is a defense that you saw improve a lot, though, as the year went on, and you can just look at DVOA versus weighted DVOA there, which factors in more heavily performance toward the end of the season. Eighth-ranked team defensively in DVOA, which is already quite good, and then fourth in weighted DVOA. And you can think about games like that Eagles game. I know Gardner Minshew was the quarterback, but Saints swarming to the ball in that one. Like it's obvious, and we've seen it not just in the 22, 2022 iteration of the Saints, but in previous ones as well. But this is a defense that can really get after a quarterback. Uh, and, you know, Dennis Allen's the continuity there. He's staying in town. He's continuing to take the reins. But interesting how, like, the coordinator cycle churns, and especially with relation to this show. And you know, we ran our own story about Joe Woods being fired a few weeks ago. Now he's right back in the game. Uh, somebody who has DC experience being like more of a junior staffer, I think usually ends up being a positive, you know, same, same exact thing with the Steelers and Brian Flores this past year, like experience is really good. And mine's being in the same room, trying to figure out scheme. I think it ends up working out for him. So, you know, whether or not this team ends up being a dominant defense next year or just a very good one. I think the bigger thing you have to consider if you are the New Orleans Saints is, hey, we have this defensive talent. We have this defensive coaching staff. Wait, who's playing quarterback for us? Oh, crap. We're $55 million over the projected cap. Uh, Andy Dalton not signed to a contract as of right now. What is our solution offensively? Because I feel like defensively you feel pretty good about yourself right now. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how Woods gets in and manages this defensive backs room because like you look at the talent just on the starting roster 
Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, Marshawn Lattimore, and Paulson. Like, Matthew, excellent this year, able to get him at value. I was personally a big Marcus May got Jets. Lattimore, though, you know, plays seven games, allows his highest completion percentage since 2018. His yards per target are all the way down, but, like, you know, Little bit tougher, you're allowing more catches. A Debo, 61.5% completion percentage allowed, four touchdowns allowed, 8.6 yards per target. Like, given the talent on this roster, there's certainly things to clean up with this Saints passing attack, despite the fact that they were able to finish so high in our defensive pass DVOA. Still got a really good front, New Orleans. Like, they're going to be. If Woods can do his job and Allen can do his job, we're going to have a lot of good defenses in the NFC South. It's going to be this is going to be a division that scores like eighteen points a game. Yeah, because they're not just good defenses; they're feasting on quarterbacks who may not be in the room right now, or maybe they are, but we have no idea what to expect from them. So, really interesting to see the NFC South football next year. Not only are we getting good defensive play. We're getting not necessarily guaranteed bad offensive play, but we're getting we're pretty sure that we're going to get no matter what some inexperienced offensive play, which is going to boost those defensive numbers even higher. Jackson. There's one name on this list that we haven't mentioned, and it's also the only OC hire of the day and a hire and another one where, you know, this is a guy that's been around the block a little bit, Kale. Cowboys fired Kellen Moore last week. They need an offensive coordinator. It's already announced before they bring in an offensive coordinator that old Mike McCarthy's taking over play calling duties again. So you just need somebody in the building who's going to help McCarthy scheme stuff up. Who do you bring on? Well, he's already in the building, Kale. It's Brian Schottenheimer. Shotty. New, new OC after being hired previously last March by the Cowboys as an analyst. Before that, he was the passing game coordinator under Urban Meyer in the 2021 Jacksonville Jaguars. Notorious, successful passing offense. But let's give Shadi some credit. He's a three-time NFL offensive coordinator. He was with the Jets for six seasons. He was with the Rams for three and the Seahawks for three. That's a long pedigree, although if you cherry-pick those individual stints, you can also see some teams that you can argue underperformed. But hey, Brian Schottenheimer's been around a long time. The Cowboys obviously can use a lift as they go from the six-ranked DVOA offense in 2021 to 15th last year. Lots to discuss here. Mike McCarthy taking over play calling duties. Brian Schottenheimer being the new guy in the building. Kale, break it down for me. I don't know how... You just like I get that NFL teams always try and, you know, shuffle things around to pretend like they're doing something in a way where it's not necessarily, you know, the best move for the team. Like the Jets didn't have to fire uh, Michael for the Cowboys didn't have to really fire Kellen Moore, uh, in my opinion. But you kind of just have to look busy. You kind of <laughs> have to look like you're trying to improve this team. And that's what this move feels like. If you're already giving McCarthy play calling duties and you're giving Brian Schottenheimer the OC role, like what do you 
Like that's not really a like a positive move. Like we already saw how tepid play calling uh, Mike McCarthy ran when he was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, which is why he flip flops, giving it, taking it, giving and taking it so often. Uh, but like it wasn't a dynamic offense; it was a bad offense. Some of the worst years that Aaron Rodgers has put up. Schottenhammer, I do want to pull this up, Jackson. This is from Roger Sherman at uh, I, I believe this is Roger Sherman at the Ringer. Uh, this is the entirety of this is the little sidebar in Wikipedia of Brian Schottenheimer's coaching resume, for lack of a better term. Starts in Washington in 2001 as the quarterbacks coach with the 28th ranked offense. Goes to San Diego Chargers, the only years of Drew Brees' career where he didn't look Hall of Fame level. Goes to the Jets for five years. Wasted some of the NFL's best defenses with Mark Sanchez. St. Louis Rams, 25th, 21st, 21st in offense. Georgia, 85th in offense and got Mark Richt fired. Colts, 30th in defense in 2017, or in offense in 2017. Seattle Seahawks. You got some good years out of Russ, but was the active, active detriment in not letting Russ cook for a little bit. And then created a dead last offense with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's not like even when Schottenheimer was in the building for the Dallas Cowboys, he's not, you know, He's not reinventing the wheel here. Like, you look at the Cowboys' offense, and they weren't able to, you know, do a whole lot. They weren't able – like, maybe some of its receiving talent. Maybe they were sold a false false bag of goods with Michael Gallup, let's say, uh, and not being a true bona fide wide receiver, too. But at the end of the day, Dallas, 15th in offensive DVOA. They're rushing better than they're passing. And Dak Prescott kind of like kind of ends up having a pretty down year for our expectations of Dak Prescott. It's uh, it's going to be a big referendum on Mike McCarthy season, and we said that last week. But you're not bringing in Brian Schottenheimer because you think that's a young revolutionary new mind who's going to help you think of some kind of new offensive solution that you haven't had before. This is you saying like, all right, he's already been in the building. Probably going to be pretty agreeable with whatever I'm deciding to do. Like we've known the past two years that even though the Cowboys have gone 12 and five in each of them made playoff appearances, that there's been dissatisfaction, especially amongst the fan base, uh, for the postseason results. And I think this is, this is very much put up or shut up time for McCarthy. And, and we didn't even talk about how there was, you know, a supposed power struggle slash disagreement between Kellen Moore and McCarthy that led to the mutual parting of ways. Like, it's Mike McCarthy's team now. And I think this season is either going to be like an NFC championship appearance and finally give the Cowboys fans what they were looking for, or you're looking at 2024 Cowboys looking for a new head coach. And there's no in between. I think there's no in between for that out because there's not room for anything in between. Like the expectations for this Cowboys team should be as high as they have been. Like defense, very strong. And you've got prime years of like edge rushers, your quarterbacks in terms of contract now. Like you've now got to maximize having Micah Parsons on this cheap deal because these guys are getting 20, 30 million out. Like, 
20, hard 20 million, like soft 30, depending on the guy. But like, you're getting really high paid edge rushers. Like, you need to maximize what you're giving Parsons or what you're doing with Parsons now. Like, you need to maximize the contracts of like, you know, a Trey Diggs. You need to maximize like all this, you know, a Lawrence. You need to maximize all this time you have right now because you've got a really good defense. You've got, you know, CD Lamb still on a rookie deal. Dak, he's paid, but like you're revamping your offensive line. It's all affordable there. Probably going to have a chance to like, you know, restock the shelves on running backs. You know, if there's a way to get off of Zeke, there is, but like you've got to maximize this window now. And I don't know if they're doing that by like it's, it feels like a lateral move that could have been wholly avoided. By just really, it's aggressive, but it would have been solved by firing Mike McCarthy. <laughs> well, we've known Jerry Jones wasn't willing to do that. So clearly this is, you know, to me, this is the old guard getting one more shot before, you know, complete turnover happens. This is Jerry Jones, whether or not he feels he's made a mistake by bringing in Mike McCarthy and give Mike McCarthy credit, this team wasn't particularly sound when he comes in in 2020 it's a pretty disastrous year when Dak gets hurt you know two pretty successful seasons but clearly still Dallas fans want more they have all the talent in the world this is the season that really just puts a stamp on you know the direction of the franchise moving forward well let's leave the coaching carousel there's still some slots to be filled particularly in the head coaching department (laughs) Hopefully, we'll have some resolution on that next week after the Super Bowl. But let's talk quarterback, Jackson. Let's start in Vegas, working with arguably the most rational of the uh, (laughs) quarterbacks that are, you know, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, The Raiders currently letting Carr seek some potential suitors. They have finally allowed him to ask for a trade request. It's essentially the same agreement that the Texans granted to Sean Watson last offseason, where teams must agree to compensation the Raiders are looking for before even getting to talk to Carr. However, there's a lot of looming contract stuff. After the Super Bowl, I think it's a seven-day window now. Sorry, February 15th exactly. So, yes, seven days from now. Cars guaranteed $40 million. And that immediately kicks in a three year extension for Carr. He's also got a no trade clause, so he can control a little bit of his destiny. There's some talk, though, Jackson. They might just cut him outright to avoid this kick in and cut their losses, not worrying about the trade department. It's a bit of a tricky situation for Carr right now, but. Tell me where you think this is going. (laughs) Well, I can tell you one additional thing for sure, which is that Derek Carr is in Louisiana today visiting the New Orleans Saints. And of all the teams that you would think don't want to take on the Derek Carr contract, it would be the team that is a projected $55 million expected over the salary cap in 2023. But you've seen it year in and year out. The Saints just kick the, the salary cap can further and further down the road restructuring every contract they possibly can. The bill always comes due, does it not? Or can the Saints just continue to just push future depths 
in order to, to bring in another highly expensive player in the form of Derek Carr, who it should be mentioned will be 32 next season. So not getting old at all, but 22, 2022 was his worst season since 2018. Uh, he finishes outside the top half of the league in both DYAR and DVOA. So is there any fit with the Saints? I have no idea, but it will be very interesting to watch the car contract situation play out. Because like you said, I don't, the Raiders have pretty much publicly announced their intent not to bring back Carr next season. Carr's at the Pro Bowl saying, like, I don't know why I'm wearing this logo. I should just be wearing, like, a generic red NFL hat. Or I believe he did wear a generic red NFL hat. I mean, this is a guy who's just fully embracing the fact that his future is all the way up in the air right now. No idea where he's going to end up. Yeah, it, it tell, by the way, side note, it tells you a lot about the Pro Bowl games that this is our first mention of them. Uh, <laughs> tells you a lot about uh, the state of the NFL's all-star game festivities. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really fun to see Carr own this entire situation where he's like, thank goodness I've got that no trade clause, right? Like <laughs> him really milking this whole thing is fun. New Orleans is really interesting to me because – They've got the capital to do it in the sense that, like, they've got the trade capital to facilitate this move. You know, they replenish the shelves, they're able to get more picks. You know, at this point, you're now swapping like a transitive property. Like, you could swap Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton for Derek Carr, like, considering how those picks are going. But I don't know how they can justify the money. Like, if you're going to do a one year run, or, or a two-year run and try and make this work. New Orleans is probably the team to do it. Like we said, they've already got the defensive, uh, the defensive players in place. Got a great young receiver in Chris Olave. We have no idea what is going to happen to Michael Thomas from here on out. But like, you know, you got some like you got some really interesting weapons on this Saints defense. You got to think at some point uh, we're going to get eighty percent of old Alvin Kamara. Like, I don't know where he's been, uh, but, you know, he's owed $20 million a year and he's nowhere to be found. Maybe there's a restructure that uh, they can engage in that would, you know, move some of that money around. But, yeah, like, New Orleans is a really interesting spot. There's more openings elsewhere. We'll see how this one shakes out, but, you know, good on car for controlling his destiny, I guess. Yeah, but if you're the Saints, I mean, why why would you continue to just stay in? I'm not calling it cap hell. It's cap purgatory. It's every year you just kick the can further and further down the road. Do you really want to not just, you know, continue to do that, but add another expensive asset on top of that and really have to do some crazy restructuring and really set yourself up for, you know, one crazy day of reckoning, whether that's one year or five down the road? I don't know. I'm but you're really also three surprised they're in this. You're three years removed from winning this division. There's no better time. Like we like we just laid out in this show. There's no better time to swoop in and make a play at quarterback if you're in the NFC South. Because you're currently going up against Desmond Ritter, Sam Darnold, and Kyle Trask. You know, it would be the perfect time for New Orleans to do like, let's push this one more year. And, like, the cap is certainly affected them. It doesn't allow them to re-sign Toronto uh, Armstead. Uh, they've got to move some pieces around. Uh, they're not able to 
keep a pass potent defense, but like, you know, can also still bring in Tyron Matthew. Like, but this is the thing is they're so far into this like salary pit that they don't have like legitimate superstars being paid that much money anymore. Like you can debate, you know, Lattimore in the secondary or Michael Thomas when he's right, but like, they're not, they're not making all this money on guys who are going to like be tremendous impact players. Now these are guys that were tremendous impact players, whether that was two years ago or five. And at some point I feel like you have to, you got to clean house a little bit. You got to reset the cap so you can go out and get some of those guys who are going to be impact superstars now. Counterpoint, gambler's fallacy. We're in this, we're in so deep at this point. Let's just keep putting it on black. Let's just keep riding this out until we hit. I think that is, I think that is the strategy. Like when the tax, like the tax bill comes and you're, you know, like physically unable to employ people because you're in so much cap debt. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like then you get the number one overall pick and you're fine. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes again. The bill's going to come due next week. So it, it will likely either break during the show or have been resolved immediately prior to the show. So we'll have more on card this week. Let's move up to Denver, Jackson, where we've got a good old fashioned private quarterback situation, private quarterback coach uh, debacle. Well, moving from the Saints to their old head coach, it's it's Sean Payton. Monday, he comes into the building in Denver. He's asked at his introductory media availability if Wilson, Russell Wilson, that is, if his personal quarterbacks coach, a guy named Jake Heaps, and other support personnel who Russell Wilson employs. Remember, this is a guy who has a multi-million dollar personal staff. Will those people still be allowed in the building? The direct quote from Sean Payton is, that's foreign to me. That's not going to take place. I'm unfamiliar with it. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. Sean Payton coming out very strong on day one, saying there is a new sheriff in town. Russell Wilson does not run this show. I do, and I will be the one coaching my quarterback. <laughs> this is starting off r- real well, Jackson. This is uh, the the best best way you could ask for a for a good you know big personality head coach big personality quarterback to start. This is about as good as you could ask for it. You're already getting into debate. This this happened like year 18 of Brady's tenure with the Patriots. Like Russ is getting into it week one. Like let's already start doing the private quarterback stuff. I. There has to be a certain level of – I've heard the word humility thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot when it comes to Russell Wilson and when it comes to how he needs to go into 2023. But I think the real word is just trust, is that, like, some of it's humility, but, like, you have to trust that a coach, a Super Bowl-winning coach that is, you know, Finished outside of the top 10 of offensive DVOA like twice during 15 years with the New Orleans Saints. Like consistently, I think it's, I think we had said last week, 12 of 15 seasons top 10 DVOA, two additional seasons finishing 11th. Like you have to know 
that there's a level of consistency here and a level of really good offensive play calling creativity, offensive genius is a little too far stretched for me, but like just a really good quality head coach. Russ has to just trust that this guy that turned Drew Brees into a Hall of Fame quarterback and, you know, was able to mitigate, like, get some really good play out of, like, a Teddy Bridgewater, out of a Jameis Winston, uh, like, put together some pretty historic offenses and make a lot of players look good. You got to trust that, like, he's going to help you. You don't have all the answers. Your quarterback's coach. Whoever it is, is not smarter than Sean Payton. <laughs> I, you know, I love the way you just phrased that, and I'll spin it to you even another way. I think with Russell Wilson, the number one key is just like stop trying to do too much. Just get back to the basics. Stop, you know, bringing in a multi-million dollar staff and and basically trying to out Tom Brady, Tom Brady with your like extreme levels of preparation and prehab slash rehab. If you're a little bit injured uh, and whether it was like the concussion water thing a few years ago, uh, like the whole public persona of Russell Wilson, just being like, I am the guy who is more prepared, works harder than everyone else. Like just put that down for a minute. And just get to camp with your team and your coaches and focus on the 2024, I guess, three. Boy, I'm losing track of the years pretty quickly here. Denver Broncos. Uh, I think, you know, all these stories that came out throughout the year about how he was rubbing people the wrong way. It, it ultimately comes from like Russell Wilson just trying too hard to be like the number one most prepared quarterback instead of just like focusing on the day to day with his team and his preparation or the single game that they're playing. So I see that as like Sean Payton trying to bring him back to that reality and just thinking about what do I do when I'm in meetings with my guys? I am optimistic is the wrong word. I'm very curious about this Denver Broncos team because I think there's some revamping they can do like in the passing game, picking up some additional receiving talent to complement uh, what they already have in Judy and Sutton because we figured out that they they might not live up to the value that we initially ascribed to them when the Broncos first got Wilson, but like there were inklings of good football in the Wilson tape I saw early in the season. At some point, it becomes too far gone, and you just look lost out there, and it becomes pretty fruitless to try and like ascribe any meaning to the late Broncos film, your late season Broncos film you're trying to watch, but there's early stuff in there that gives you like a little bit of hope that like, oh yeah, this, you know, he's not totally washed. This isn't a complete fluke. If he's willing to, you know, take a step back and like, you know, again, humble himself, try and reevaluate, put trust into Sean Payton, that he's going to put together a good offense, I think this can really work. But if it doesn't, this is going to be one of the more costly mistakes an NFL team has ever made. Yeah, but if you're, I mean, you already made the Russell Wilson commitment, and we talked maybe for one week out of the year how they might just cut their losses and get out of it, but I don't think we ever considered that as a serious possibility. So double down at that point. Like, you know, yeah, you know you're stuck with this guy. Like, try and make it work. And bring in every possible, you know, weapon you can. And next year they're going to get 
Uh, you know, whether it's Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, Javante Williams, all these guys are coming back. Uh, so try and make something out of it. And I think, I mean, Sean Payton, regardless of who his quarterback is, is somebody in the room who you obviously have to respect. If NFL, if NFL teams took like one game theory class, they'd be so much better. <laughs> they'd be all so much better off. Because this is, again, it's just gambler's fallacy. It's just yeah, doubling this is, down. This is what happens when money is, already made. This is what happens when money is just the entirety of, you know, of give give these guys millions of dollars and and know that you have to, like, operate at a profit at all times. And that's, you know, when, when running a football team becomes a lot less game theory-like and all of a sudden you're just, you're trying to, trying to win so you can make money and you're trying to make money so you can make more money. It's all you're going op- to operate making money regardless. It's sink all your assets into bad ideas. Being com- it's being comfortable with hitting the reset button on Josh Rosen and taking Kyler Murray or doing the same with, you know, Zach Wilson, let's say. Like, you've got to be able to, like, say, like, hey, we made a mistake. We're going to pivot now. Sinking more money into the problem doesn't help anything. <laughs> I, that's an ironic one to use as an example, the Kyler Murray one. But, hey, they, they did – for better or worse, say like we're pivoting out of this mistake, and now Cliff Kingsbury's in Thailand, and now he is Jackson. We have one. We have one more quarterback story, and I'm going to take wow. it. Jackson, biggest biggest name on the quarterback market. Will he stay? Will he go? Will he hang it up? Aaron Rodgers. One thing's for sure: we're going to have an answer. After Rodgers takes a four-day darkness retreat. Yes, Jackson, that is right. He is going to sit in a dark room point of light for four days. <laughs> you know, you know it's a re- oh no, that was for retirement. I thought I looked at the ESPN thing at a glance <laughs> and saw for sure it's a real thing, 100 percent I thought he was talking about the darkness retreat. He's actually threatening. That's about his, uh, not threat, but the prospect of him retiring. It's a pretty cool opportunity to do a little self-reflection and some isolation, Roger said. And then after that, I feel like I'll be a lot closer to a final, final decision. It's just sitting in isolation, meditation, dealing with your thoughts, Roger said. It stimulates DMT, dimethyltryptamine. So that there can be some hallucinations in there, but it's just kind of sitting in silence, which most of us never do. We rarely even turn our phone off or put the blinds down to sleep in darkness. I'm really looking forward to it. Jackson, after four nights in darkness, Rogers awakens from his little cell, uh, opens the door. What is the first thing he says regarding his NFL decision after leaving the darkness chamber? You're asking me to predict what comes out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth, and that's a hard enough job to predict on a normal week. You're telling me like Aaron Rodgers' brain is going to be addled by hallucinations and darkness, and I, I assume he's going to be making bowel movements in the dark for four days. I hope that works out well for him. I hope he emerges a, a relatively clean human being. Uh, but you really think you, you spend four days in the dark and you come out and your solution is like, let me go to the Las Vegas Raiders? 
Maybe it is. I don't know. Jackson, he's going into a black hole. Yeah, I've heard that. Trust me, I've I've heard that metaphor used. Uh, you used one before the show, before the cameras were rolling about the New York Jets. That's even crazier that I won't even repeat on air. But uh, I I don't think he's retiring. I still kind of think that I still kind of think it's the jet scale. It's it's crazy, but Aaron Rodgers is crazy. I mean, listen, Jackson. I also sat in on a little talk between Rodgers and one astrologist, Deborah Silverman. Uh, that was a fascinating conversation of a Zoom. Uh, that. Uh, he repeatedly, first off, he repeatedly kept calling her mom, which was really uncomfortable. Uh, interesting for me. Uh, the webinar, at different points, uh, he brought up Devontae Adams uh, and his level of competitiveness and attributed that to him being a Capricorn. Uh, at one point, uh, Deborah. Uh, suggested that multiple uh i believe i believe it was multiple signs placed in the house of neptune was what was responsible for him being able to so accurately read defenses uh i i tell me if i'm missing anything jackson justice mosqueda uh also did a really thorough uh <laughs> really thorough uh, breakdown of this. Oh, also, uh, Devontae Adams's high pain threshold was also attributed to him being a Capricorn. Uh, it, was, it was quite the 45 minutes, and I learned absolutely nothing about his upcoming decision. But he did bring up Devontae Adams apropos of nothing, so maybe he's leaning one way. I don't know. The talk of him at Pebble Beach also. Uh, a lot of reading of the crowd first day, a lot of Jets talk in days two and three, a lot of Raiders talk. There's a lot to make of this media tour, Jackson. Yeah, I mean, we're we're expanding to a really different segment of audience that would be interested in a lot of what you just talked about than we're interested in where Aaron Rodgers is going. Like, he's truly, every offseason, he just continues to embrace the weirdo in him. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone, everyone has things that either they believe or they are interested in that maybe other people don't have interest in. And Aaron Rodgers has gotten to a point where he's comfortable sharing all of it. Also just quoted Ted Lasso on Twitter to Mitchell Schwartz yesterday when he was questioned about his darkness retreat. So Aaron Rodgers does not care what you have to say anymore and will not up until the point that he decides on a new team. And we'll go to that new team and still not care what any of them think about him. So it's going to continue to be a really interesting thing to follow. I mean, that's so sad of him, right? He's such a Sagittarius. <laughs> Don't I know it, Cal. I think about this every day. Last bit before we get to Super Bowl news. AJ Green announces his retirement from the NFL. Fourth overall pick from the Cincinnati Bengals in 2011, which, by the way, you go back and look at that class. What a what a class. Spent 10 seasons in Cincinnati, two additional ones with the Cardinals. Second all-time in receiving touchdowns and receiving yards by a Cincinnati Bengal. You can imagine there are 
couple receivers on that roster right now that are probably going to be gunning for that role. But until now, it's it's all uh, it's all greens. Ranked tenth all time uh, in DYAR among rookie receivers. Uh, two finishes, top ten wide receiver DYAR. Two seasons, top ten in wide receiver DVOA. Where do you fall on how, like, what do you make of Green's legacy at this point? I think he's he's an elite wide receiver. I don't know, like, I, the Hall of Fame for football to me is probably the toughest one of all the major sports to get into. So in that sense, like, I'm not seeing a Hall of Fame jacket for A.J. Green. But I also think like when you look back on your favorite teams in this sport, like there are guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame that you still remember as being some of the best ever. Uh, You know, all those guys on those Patriots defenses that we grew up watching uh, are not going to the Hall of Fame for the most part. uh, And we still remember them as Titans of the game, whether it's Brewski or Seymour or whoever else. So I think A.J. Green is going to be a name that in Bengals history, when Bengals fans look back, especially on the period of time before their team got good and started competing for AFC championships. He was just the guy. Uh, and I think, you know, definitely at times was a top five receiver in the league. Uh, I think of like 2013 to 15 uh, when Andy Dalton, you know, was actually putting up good stats and the Bengals started that one season eight. No, uh, before they sort of came back down to earth, uh, AJ Green was really the driving factor behind that entire offense. There's a re- like seven Pro Bowls is a pretty significant number, and it's all consecutive years as well. Like it's not, it's not a Jerry Rice, Randy Moss type of run of career dominance, but it's a very extended peak that you have to be proud of if you're AJ Green. Yeah, it is. It, it's a great career, but it's a frustrating career uh, because he never. Like, missed a full year to an ankle injury, uh, missed some additional games in there as well, but, like, never seemed to really get that burst back. Yeah. Which is upsetting, obviously. Uh, Comes into Arizona to try and be a bit of a stopgap guy, you know, a a depth receiver, had some good opportunities as a wideout two or wideout three with the team. But, you know, doesn't do – you know, I think he has sub a thousand receiving yards between his two seasons with the Cardinals. Um, he's certainly like he's a franchise Hall of Fame guy, not necessarily an NFL Hall of Fame guy. But again, regardless, great talent and a part of one of the best draft classes. You know, that's that's Newton, that's Miller. Like, there's something. You know, we can. I'm not going to do a. A draft summary list, but I mean, this is this is up there at one of the best, and he's a great receiver all around. Yeah, and he's top fifty all time in both touchdowns and receiving yards. Like that's yes. that's where he belongs. He's a top fifty receiver of all time, and he's like just on the outside looking in at that Hall of Fame conversation. But regardless, like a career that most guys barely dare to dream of when they first come into the league. Yeah, not to stick on this too long. I just want to add one more thing. I do hope that, like, you know, we're entering this period of, you know, elite receiving talent seems to be coming out of nearly every single draft. We're going to continue to have those records, you know, 
fall by the wayside. It's the same thing that happened, you know, with LeBron, the NBA, like, you know, that scoring title isn't going to hold on as long because of the way the game has changed and like, you know, more three point shooting, you might see that record fall in, you know, sooner than the 38 years it took for Kareem's to fall to LeBron. That being said, like, I just want to make a point that we should remember these guys along the way as we go. Like, uh, you know, there are going to be players that come and go uh, that, you know, might fall out of public consciousness as time goes on and their impact on the NFL might get left behind. But, like, just make sure to hold on to those guys. Hmm. Just remember those guys. And in the same token, like, appreciate the talent while it's there because it certainly won't be there forever. And, you know, it, it's just about giving roses now, you know? Yeah. Well, AJ Green did come into the league also in 2011, which was the year that passing records just started to go by the wayside. I believe there were three 5,000 yard passers that year, and there had been two in the history of the league up until that point. So he benefited from, from the passing game explosion. Like he's definitely in the right era for his numbers to be big enough to be remembered by. Yes, that he is. But, you know, we evolution is a thing and it will continue. Exactly. Jackson, that's enough of the rest of the league. We got one game on our mind. We all know it. Super Bowl Sunday. Let's get right into the latest. Chiefs, start with them. They make one pretty telling transaction move. They activate. Running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the 21-day practice window, giving him a window to potentially come back for the Super Bowl. In change, that move also resulted in wide receiver Miko Hardman going on to the IR. Now, Miko Hardman was one of three wide receivers for the Kansas City Chiefs that did not practice at all the week before the Super Bowl. He had joined Juju Smith-Schuster and Kadarius Tony in that regard. Hardman, however, was the only player who was listed as doubtful uh, of those three. Now, Hard confirmed that Hardman will not be playing on Sunday. Jackson, what's your reaction to both moves? Well, my reaction to the Hardman move specifically is that uh, Sky Moore, your, your moment has arrived. You are the punt returner for the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And we know that he had a big one to cap off the Bengals' wins, set them up for the game-winning drive. But he's also had his struggles throughout the year. So spotlights on Sky. Uh, he also got seven targets last game. So Sky Moore might continue to be a factor in the passing game. But we know he's the punt returner. Stinks for Nicole Hardman, who has been a pretty exciting burst player at times during his Chiefs career. Uh, and certainly, you know, he still wants to be on the sidelines for a team that gets a ring. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed for him. But as far as the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire news goes, I don't know what to expect at all if he's even on the team, if he gets a single touch, if he ends up being a factor, uh, or if he just ends up being like LaShawn McCoy, who's along for the ride when he gets their ring at the ring ceremony. I have no idea because, I mean, two years ago, he's the lead back. He's, you know, getting... What did he get? I think it was, yeah, 11 touches in the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, was second among Kansas City skill position players behind Travis Kelsey in yards that game. And then last year, he was the bench running back all postseason. And this year, 
he was really kind of a change of pace back for them even before he got hurt. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm expecting Edwards Alaire to be a factor in this game, but you never know who the Super Bowl hero is going to be, right? Like it's it's Damian Williams for the Chiefs this this very team three years ago. It's James White one year. Uh, it could really be anyone in that backfield as much as we might think it might be Pacheco or even Jared McKinnon. If he's out there, who knows if he's getting you know meaningful touches. It's going to be interesting for sure. It, you know, Edward Dallaire gives you a little bit of both. He's capable of being involved in the passing game. He's certainly a somewhat capable runner as well. <coughs> Excuse me. The depth piece of the Hardman stuff is what throws me off because, like, Edward Dallaire is going to be like Edward Dallaire is going to be an impact player by matchup because of things like, you know, the fact that the Eagles are bottom 10 against covering running backs, uh, against covering running backs in the passing game. So you're going to need some passing backs involved, whether that's McKinnon or Edward Dallaire is a different story. The receiving part of it, though, like, I thought the Chiefs were going to be able to get, like, I thought if the Chiefs were going to get an edge in the receiving game because, Eagles are good against wide receiver ones. They're good against tight ends. I thought the impact was going to come from those other guys, not necessarily a Juju, not necessarily a guy can go up the seam like an MVS, but like, you know, what Kadarius Tony can do in space on a jet sweep, what Miko Hardman can do uh, in the gadget plays that they want him in. Like, I thought even, uh, you know, uh, who's that guy? Brown? Uh, not Noah Brown. I'm trying to think. Uh, Justin Watson, Justin Watson. Yes. Thank you. Uh, completely different name. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the, uh, like, I thought those kind of gadget guys were like their unique usage and skill sets was going to be a difference maker for the chiefs. Now you've got one less option there. Now you've got to put more reliance on a Kadarius Tony who's injured or a sky Moore who hasn't necessarily had a ton of, touches in this Chiefs offense this season relative to the rest of the cast. So not the biggest loss, but just, you know, how many chips do you got to get away to break to the center, you know? Well, let's, I mean, let's transition into the other Chiefs injury news that we were going to round up and we'll start with the receivers just to, to make it a clean transition and make sure we know who's going to be involved. You know, Kadarius Tony gets questioned at media day. Uh, and says, quote, he's definitely playing after suffering an ankle injury in the AFC Championship game, whereas wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster has not said anything uh, with his knee injury still listed as questionable. You do figure, uh, as you point out, with the Hardman subtraction, you're going to definitely want both of these guys, whether it's Smith-Schuster, who's been, you know, at times the Steelers wide receiver one during his career, um, or it's Kadarius Toney, who you gave up a third-round pick for this year, you know, these are guys that you want to show up in this game. And certainly uh, I'd be surprised if either of them doesn't play, especially Tony, because he outright said it. But what kind of impact will they have? We know this is a team that went all in on building a deep wide receiver room as opposed to a star-studded one when they decided to, you know, get Tyreek Hill out of the building, save on salary cap there, and try to build a more well-rounded unit. You know, you definitely have to say that that gamble has paid off for them in a sense that 
They've gotten just the amount of contributions they've needed in the two playoff games leading up to this point. But, you know, Tyreek Hill ain't walking through that door now, so you need the entire wide receiver room as healthy as possible, and you got to see who, whether it's one of these two or MVS again, is going to step up and make the plays in the Super Bowl. That he is, you also have to mention, Jackson, on top of the receivers, which, you know, I think we've spent a good amount of time talking about, it's the additional injuries to guys like Willie Gay, uh, LeJarry Sneed as well, specifically, you know, Willie Gay, concussion, limited participant throughout the entire week. He's likely going to play. I can't imagine a linebacker being held out of the Super Bowl with a shoulder injury. Uh, maybe, you know, you know, tape it up and you limit his reps and you find a way to try and get that shoulder out of the way on those tackles, but I don't think that's going to limit him at all. Jerry Sneed has not practiced yet with a concussion. Uh, I don't know how like that's a slippery one because it's just a matter of like there's no playing through a concussion you've got to pass protocol and get out of there we don't know if we've gotten updates about Snead with regards to that concussion outside of the fact that he has yet to practice this week he said Monday though he said at Super Bowl Media Day that he himself had cleared the protocol so yeah I mean they, I don't believe they practice yet today, so we'll see if he practices or not. But it is confirmed that Sneed has so been the concussion okay. protocol. I missed that. Thank you for that. That's a big help, and that's a big difference maker. If he's passed, that's a completely different story. Yeah. I was more Steve worried. Spagnolo confirmed it as well. He said, like, that's huge for our defense. He's cleared. So, like, we know we at least know that that procedural hurdle is cleared. You know, he's still – you'd like him to practice, but – you expect him to be out there now that he's cleared. Of course, you'd like him to practice. I was more concerned about the fact that, like, could he play, could he not? Confirmed, uh, cleared concussion protocol, at the very least, he's available. Jackson, let's flip to the Eagles side. Not a lot of injury news from them, but big conversation coming up about Jalen Hurts. At least from Jeff Lurie's end. Or Lurie's end. Jeff Lurie's end. Yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah. Jeff. Yes. Oh, the floor is mine. Well, take it away. Yeah, Eagles I, I took the Eagles. You got yeah. Eagles. Yeah, Eagles CEO Jeffrey Lurie, Kale, the guy you just mentioned. Uh, he spoke to Sal Palantonio at Media Day. Uh, he of ESPN fame. Uh, and it's, it's a question of not just can Jalen Hurts win us the Super Bowl, but, you know, Two years ago, Jalen Hurts, just a second round pick, started the year behind Carson Wentz. And it's always been a question of, you know, will he be the quarterback of this team long term? And now Jeffrey Lurie, you know, who, of course, has seen how well Hurts has played throughout the season, says is a direct quote. I don't think he has anything to prove. He is an MVP caliber quarterback, an incredible leader of the team on the field, off the field. He's 24 years old, incredibly mature and most importantly, driven to be even better. What we're seeing today, I think, is just the beginning for Jalen. So that doesn't come as a surprise to us. Jalen Hurts has obviously taken a big leap over his first two years, but the talks have not yet begun. The focus is squarely on the Super Bowl, and we're going to have to wait and see if this offseason is the season that the long-term contract for Hurts gets resolved, and more importantly, what kind of money he might get, because as, you know, as somebody who didn't come to the NFL with that like first round pick pedigree, 
there's this question that has to arise of how much credit do you give Hertz for the production that the offense has put forth versus the additions that they have made on the offense in terms of AJ Brown, in terms of Devontae Smith and the draft, and just the you know tremendous offensive line they've put together. You know, we're gonna have to see like where the two sides fall and what kind of contract they think he might end up deserving. It's gonna be you know, the first thing we end up asking about the Seagulls or about the Eagles after the dust is settled on the Super Bowl. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, like, I'm fascinated by this quarterback market in general because there is no, like, middle class of contract. And I'm going to throw two names out who are not in the same conversation as a Jalen Hurts, but add to the larger conversation around how we pay quarterbacks. Like, there isn't a middle ground, a 20-something million a year deal for a guy like a Geno Smith or a guy like a Daniel Jones. Jalen Hurts, top 10 passing offense, top 10 QBR, top 10 DYAR, top 10 DVOA, uh, all this season. I think, I forget where I saw this, but I also saw he's the first quarterback ever to rush for 10 touchdowns and have a passer rating over 100. Uh, like there's a lot of different elements that show like purchase a true bona fide quarterback. And I understand the contract discussions haven't begun yet, but like is like, is he a market resetter? Like, do you anticipate him getting that money? Because like he's not quite like Mahomes in, he's not quite like the athletic anomaly of a Josh Allen, but like even Allen's contract didn't reset market. You see how high high prices have gone up. And you got a guy like Kyler Murray slated to be a top three earner among quarterbacks after Russell Wilson and um, and Deshaun Watson. There's a I think four I think uh, Aaron Rodgers also falls in there, but you know that may get readjusted if he tra- uh, transfers teams. But like, is Hurts in that conversation for like market resetting money? Is he like? a 40 million plus dollar a year guy. I think honestly, like a lot of like the Eagles might have to play a waiting game for a Lamar Jackson to see where he sets his money. And even Lamar Jackson's in a different category because at least he's gotten a unanimous MVP under his belt and is able to do a lot of stuff. Hertz is a great dual threat guy, but like, is he in that like market resetting sort of value? Or is he like, you know, a 35 to 40 guy, like where he's still in like an upper tier but not full resetting. Well, the two factors that I want to point out in that discussion are one, does Jalen Hurts win this game, win Super Bowl MVP? Because I think at that point, you know, how can you deny him, you know, that type of market value? Two, does Jalen Hurts want to reset the market? Because he will have earned that right, especially if they win this game. But even if not, he was squarely in the MVP discussion this year before he ends up getting hurt. But he's seen like what the Kyler Murray contract, you know, ends up doing to the Arizona Cardinals. He's seen, you know, even Aaron Rodgers, who ends up winning MVPs, he's left the Packers in a difficult position with his market resetting contract. Russell Wilson with the Broncos, market resetting contract. So, you know, does he want to be that guy to just, you know, make the money, in which case he's totally earned that right? Or does he want to, you know come to the table with the Eagles and figure out a solution that can pay him, you know, as much as they possibly can that he feels he's worth and still leave them in a flexible position. It's, you know, that's up to Jalen. Well, Jackson, we'll figure that out in the coming months of this off season. 
But we can't get ahead of ourselves because we still got one game left to go. That'll do it for a super packed episode of the FO News Show. Before we go, as always, got to shout out the quality product that is FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. You're getting premium articles from Derek Class and Mike Tanier. You're getting every little bit of statistics and data and analytics that we use, all the DVOA and DYAR, every table that we've gotten here. Uh, you got two decades of a back catalog of almanacs that would have told you in 2022, this guy back here, a little blue spine, that the Eagles were primed for a potential Super Bowl run. You got betting, uh, you got betting tools, you got fantasy tools, you got about everything you need as an intelligent, savvy, savvy, data knowledgeable football fan. And hey, if you're not subscribed yet to FO Plus, you can use my name. You can drop my name at the door. Promo code Kale, 10% off. What more can you ask for? I don't know what you could ask for. You know what you can ask for coming soon, though, Kale? Well, something called FO100. Tell me about it, Jackson. No, you tell me about it, Kale. Oh, I, know, I know you're the product, man. Well, hey, you know that little thing every year that happens called the draft? Yep. Mike Tanier, Derek Klassen, populating the list, 100 guys, top 100 prospects that you need to know going into this draft. You know, you know, listen, we all know the the Bryce Youngs, the Will Andersons, the C.J. Strouds. But we're going to get meticulous with this kind of thing. We're going to be telling you about, you know, senior bowl prospects. We're going to be telling – you can look at Mike Tanier's stuff on senior bowl uh, prospects right now. We're going to tell you, you know, give you a real big chunk of those first three rounds, four-round kind of guys, figure out where your team can be investing in. Not just that first round. Like maybe you're a Miami fan, don't have a pick. Maybe, maybe you're a Rams fan, don't have a pick. That's okay. We got round two and round three covered for you. A little trickle into round four. Those first two days of the draft, all covered for you with the FO100. Get ready. I will tell you what, I have not in my career thus far as an NFL analyst gotten too deep into draft prospects. I consider that a responsibility now that I've, you know, come to Football Outsiders, begun doing full-time content for football. FO100 is where I'm going to start this offseason, and it is where you should start as well. You get just like the perfect dosage amount of draft knowledge without having to, you know, seek out and get deep into the tape yourself. Experienced experts like Tanier and Derek Class and getting into it for you. I mean, what more could you ask for? I don't know what more you can ask for, Jackson. I'll give you the same answer back. But, hey, that'll do it for us today. For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you guys next week.